It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103. And as always, the texts and the WhatsApps are up and running this morning. 0862 103 103. And not surprised to open the papers this morning and lots and lots of commentary and detail about what unfolded in the Dáil yesterday. And the Dáil was at absolutely full capacity yesterday as the Ukrainian president Vladimir Zelensky issued a rallying cry for more support from Ireland for his war-torn nation and this is something he's been doing and addressing Parliament in practically every single country in the world and he always seems to give a really measured speech every time he addresses the different parliaments and yesterday was no different but I mentioned the point yesterday because it was about this time as we were coming on air that he was starting to do the address to the Dáil and uh, Senate and I was making the point I just caught a, just a very small glimpse of him on the screen before I started the programme yesterday and I was making the point I don't think I've ever seen a man to age so much in such a short period of time. I mean very few of us probably would even have known the name of Vladimir Zelensky before the outbreak of the war in Ukraine and while some people may have known the President's name they might have been that familiar with what he looked will look like. He might have been able to identify Identify him in a lineup of world uh, presidents, but he's a face that we have very much come to know. And just watching him over the last, where where we had almost about six weeks now since this war began, you can visibly see how this young man is ageing before our eyes because he's got sort of the worry of his entire country on his shoulders and he's proving to be such a great leader and such an articulate speaker when he does address all of the different nations around the world. And yesterday I was interested because when I came off air I I took a look at the address and watching the faces of all all of our political leaders and our senators and uh, um, TDs and the guests that were invited into the Dáil uh, yesterday, all of them listening so intently to President Zelensky yesterday and he outlined in great detail the horrific ordeal that his citizens are enduring at the hands of Vladimir Putin's invading Russian army, you know, and he, he gave numbers yesterday as he has done on previous addresses, you know, he spoke about um, the murder of at least 167 defenceless children, that number though, when this war does eventually end is expected to be much much higher. Russian soldiers they've destroyed 927 
educational institutions, everything from creches to primary schools to secondary schools to universities. And they're hunting down and killing teachers. You know, it's as if they want to completely eradicate the educated and the educators. You know, he spoke of the 258 hospitals that have been deliberately targeted by the Russians, 78 ambulances that were shot at while they were going out trying to assist the injured uh, during this war that has been uh, condemned by um, practically every country uh, around the world. So there's lots of commentary about what President Zelensky had to say yesterday. And then overnight reports are coming out that Russian forces are hiding their war crimes in Mariupol by burning the bodies of the murdered civilians. And what they've done is they are bringing in mobile crematoriums into Mariupol. And when we were talking about Busha this week and when they, uh, the Russians had left Busha and, of course, the Ukrainian soldiers got back into Bucha and the international journalists got back in and we saw the devastation of what had been left behind and the atrocities that had happened to the people of Bucha. And I remember at that stage when we were talking about it, I actually said it on air. What I dread is the day when the international, the NGOs and the Ukrainians and the journalists and everybody gets into Mariupol. What is going to be uncovered in Mariupol? But it seems a lot of it is going to be hidden and it is the mayor of the city He's accused the enemy forces of turning what was once a bustling city of half a million people into a death camp. And he says they were they're recruiting pro-Russian collaborators and separatist fighters from the breakaway Donetsk area to come and to collect and dispose of the bodies and then Russian mobile crematorias are being operating now in Mariupol and the mayor of Mariupol made the point that the world hasn't seen the scale of the tragedy in Mariupol since the Nazi concentration camps and when I heard that they were using mobile crematoriums the first thing I thought of was isn't that exactly what happened during the Nazis with their concentration camps with the Jewish people and and others who were in the concentration camps and when they were gassed and tortured and killed they got rid of all the evidence by having these great big furnaces I don't even know if we were using the word crematoriums at the uh, time and of course the city of Mariupol with their half a million citizens that once lived there. It has been the focus of Russia's most sustained bombardment right since the start of the war back on the 24th of February. They now reckon 90% of the city has been destroyed but there are still thousands of civilians trapped in the besieged city. They're down in cellars, they're living without food, they're living without running water, they're living without medical supplies and of course Russia is continuing the bombardment of Mariupol because it's important for them to control this city because by controlling it then they have this highway between Russia and Crimea which is already under their control and that's why they have devolved so much of their firepower to try to capture this city and it's a city that still has Ukrainian forces inside and the Ukrainian forces are completely surrounded by Russian forces at this stage but they're continuing every day to try to protect parts of the uh, city and of course Mariupol has also already seen some of the worst atrocities of this war. We had the maternity hospital that was targeted 
it. And then, of course, remember that theatre that was used to shelter hundreds of women and, and children. We still don't know to the extent of how many people actually died in the theatre. And while the world uh, watches and there's all this video evidence of what the Russians are doing, we still have the Kremlin claiming that the evidence of the war crimes uh, committed by its forces, that it's all fake, it's fake news, it's framing its invasion still as a mission to rescue Ukrainians from the Nazis and nothing could be further from the truth. And now the latest from the Ukrainian authorities, they're urging the people living in the Donbass area to evacuate now because they are expecting an impending Russian offensive. Military sources are saying that the Russians, of course, who have pulled out of Kiev, they're a battle-damaged force at the moment. It's going to take about a month for them to regroup and then there's going to be a major push on eastern Ukraine and of course it's all going to be into the Donbass region so they're now saying to people to try to uh, get out. It just really is a shocking, shocking situation and we don't seem to be getting any closer to peace. One of our listeners, Nicola, uh, is looking for help from cake bakers in the North Cork area, please. Uh, Nicola WhatsApps to, to say, could you please put a shout out and ask, do any of your listeners know of anyone who can make a really special 13th birthday cake for my grandson. Now Nicola isn't looking for one for free. She's willing to, wants to purchase a really special birthday cake for her 13 year old grandson. Now it needs to be totally nut free so that his sister can enjoy it. Obviously his sister has a, a nut allergy so a baker who can do a totally nut free very special 13th birthday cake and Nicola has gone on in a WhatsApp to explain that her grandson his brother his sister his mum who is Nicola's youngest daughter and his dad are all coming to visit her in Fidan in North Cork for the first time since Easter of 2019 so it's going to be a very very special reunion but her grandson who's going to be celebrating his 13th uh, birthday or they're planning on celebrating it when he comes uh, to visit his uh, granny he's had a kind of a bit of a tough time he was due to go away on a school trip to Barcelona which was coinciding with his 13th birthday and unfortunately he contracted Covid the day before and therefore wasn't able to travel. So they're really miserable. So he's had a bit of a rough year. So they're trying to make the birthday as special as possible. Uh, and I know there are many fantastic bakers dotted right across the city and county because you'll often see them up on Facebook and on Instagram. People put up wonderful photographs of cakes that have been made really special at birthday cakes. It's a real art. But the sting in the tail here is we need it to be nut free for Nicola's family. So anyone in the North Cork area that can point us in the right direction of where we can send Nicola to get this rather special uh, birthday cake for her 13 year old grandson. If you can let us know please, you can call 0818103103 or if you want to text or WhatsApp me 0862103103 Ideally if you can, if you want to send something on on WhatsApp like a link to somebody that I could then pass on to uh, Nicola. See if you can help us with that please. And a reminder second last day of our Racing Home for Easter Festival. The Racing Home for Easter Festival is on from Saturday the 16th to Monday the 18th of April so the weekend after next very very fast approaching three great days of racing at the Cork Race Course there'll be live music every day Easter Sunday is always a special event with the most stylish lady event and then if you're planning a family day at the races Monday is is your day because there's lots of children's entertainment with a family fun race day on the Easter Monday and we have tickets that we're giving away every day this week a pair of tickets to go along 
Long Racing uh, for Easter Sunday. And then tomorrow, our five winners go into a hat and one of our daily winners gets their prize upgraded to dinner for two in the restaurant at the race course. So you'll get your admission ticket, your race card, the reserved table in the restaurant where you can enjoy a four-course meal. And then at the end of the day, we're sending you away for an overnight stay to the beautiful Springford Hall Country House Hotel, which is uh, 10 minutes away from the race course. It's a lovely, lovely prize. We will have another racing question for you today. Uh, We'll do that after 12 o'clock, giving you a chance to win. And if you'd like to purchase tickets to go racing this Easter weekend, then please go to corkracecourse.ie. The entire world facing a volatile energy situation due to the war in Ukraine and our own energy prices rising to all-time highs. We need to look at any or all renewable energy supplies here at home. Cork East Fine Gael Dáil Deputy David Stanchin is suggesting that farmers should be paid to provide energy to the national grid and he joins me to explain more. Good morning to you David. Good morning Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now what schemes are currently in place that encourage farmers to invest in renewable energy supplies? Well the one I focused on was the TAMS which is a special uh, EU funded scheme which uh, farmers can use to upgrade their farms including uh, the installation of solar PV panels on their farms. The only downside to it is if they have any excess energy, they have to send it out to the grid for free under that scheme. And I suggested to the Minister in the Dáil recently that that should change, that uh, from June this year, as you know, uh, anybody who has excess energy uh, from home generation can sell it onto the grid. But farmers under this scheme will not be able to do that. And I, I wanted to know why so, and the Minister agreed with me, actually. He said, you know what? This shouldn't be the case. So I'm going to keep the pressure on here to try and make changes here on this one because I feel that, as you said, every opportunity we have now to encourage people to generate their own electricity at home uh, and farms in particular are well-placed because they have lots of roofs and sheds where they can put photovoltaic. They can use the uh, electricity themselves for cooling and for their own uses on farms. But any excess onto the grid, then I think they should be remunerated for it. Absolutely. And the fact that it's it's an EU scheme, it will come obviously with its own rules and regulations. Would you imagine that permission would be needed from the EU to change it in any way? Yeah, I had a chat with Sean Kelly about this and he agreed with me that any rules like that should be changed. And God knows we are changing all that rules at the moment all over the place. But as you quite rightly said, Patricia, in your introduction there, energy is is a huge area now that we have to focus on. And every possibility we have to encourage and support people to generate electricity and if they sell it onto the grid, I think they should get paid for it. And, you know, um, from June on this year, anybody that's supplying energy onto the grid can get yeah. either a credit or get paid from their supplier. So why not, why, why not the farmers? And talk to me a little bit about this scheme, TAMS. Has there been much take-up of it? I think there have been more 400 applications have been made and about 126 applications have been successful so far under TAMS uh, for photovoltaic installation in farms. The difficulty is that the farmers don't get paid for any excess they might have. Mm. And this is where I think we need to make a change. Yeah, Some farms uh, have been in contact with me about this and they feel strongly about it. Yeah, know? and I'm wondering if this is a, if this would be a way then to make extra income for, for the farmers. We, exactly. might, we might see more people deciding to, to get involved. Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, then I feel that other places where we have lots of roof space like schools and community centres and so on should also be encouraged to put up photovoltaic cells. And obviously, at this time of year, when you have long days and lots of light, they're going to be very productive. 
and you'll, you'll, you don't need strong sunshine, you need daylight yeah. for these things to work. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, so it's something I was very, felt strongly about. And when farmers contacted me, I raised it in the doll at the Minister, uh, Logue, and we had a good debate on it. And some other colleagues came in and supported me on it as well. So I want to continue with this now and see where the blockages are. Uh, whether it's at European level or at uh, national level and try and get that changed. Yeah, and looking at that volatile energy situation, as a country, David, are we doing enough to move forward when it comes to trying to generate our own power so that we're not so reliant on the world market? Well, there are lots of plans uh, going forward. A company called Simply Blue, for instance, off the South Coast is developing plans to have offshore wind generation and we're supporting them as strongly as we can. Um, offshore wind generation is going to be a huge game changer. And from the offshore wind, when, when the electricity is, is pumped ashore, uh, you can then create green hydrogen, which can be used to power trucks and buses and tractors and even airplanes and generate electricity. So this is the future. The problem is it's, again, probably 10, 15 years away before we see this thing come into fruition. But, but we have an, a huge resource fund, of course, with respect to wind. And if you can use that then to generate electricity and also to create green hydrogen, that would be a great game changer. We'd, we could actually, actually end up as an exporter of energy wow. at the time. Wow. But we've got to really move this on now and all the obstacles. We have passed a legislation in the Dáil recently to enable people to apply for permission uh, on the sea, out, out in the oceans, to put up these floating wind turbines. They're, they're very, very big. Uh, they're floating on the surface. It's a new technology. It's been used in the North Sea for quite a bit. And um, it's something I think that we can really use on the West Coast and the South Coast. And now. there's and always wind out at sea. There's always wind out there, yeah. which, is, yeah. which is great. Just one other thing, Patricia, as, as you probably know, Ansgrove House and Gardens is being opened today by the Minister uh, Patrick O'Donovan. Yeah. State, and that's, that's really, I'm heading down there now to, to, because great. we've been pushing that for quite a while. And it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful place. And again, it could be a, a great tour of attraction about both for locals and for visitors. Okay, the and area. the official opening is happening today. And actually, just on, on one other piece I saw, uh, I think I'm sure it was in the examiner, you're worried about coastal uh, er- erosion. As, as a country, do we now need to really wake up and do something to protect our coastal uh, communities? Like, we know we have rising sea levels. Yeah, it's not, it's not, you're right there, it's not so much coastal erosion as rising sea levels because the ice is melting in the Antarctic and in Greenland in particular. And uh, many scientific uh, studies have been done and, and depending on the rate of acceleration of this, and it's, it's happening and it's, it's irreversible from what, I can, what, I've, what I've read, uh, it's going to mean the sea levels are going to rise in the next 30 to 50 years by quite a bit. And you're right again what you say there, that many of our coastal communities are going to be under pressure. Um, it's going to be a game changer across the world. And, you know, we're, all, we're either going to have to put up defences, higher defences to keep the sea out or else move to higher ground. And this is something we should be planning about now, for now. And I raised it in the doll. We're waiting for some studies to be uh, finalised and published here to give us a more definitive account as to where the, the sea is likely to go. But, you know, it also has an impact on insurance. If you're living near the sea and there's a risk, it, it's going to happen that the sea is going to rise you know, insurance companies may say, hang on, I'm going to insure your house now. You know, so mm. this has huge implications for people. Um, it's, and it's, it, just because it's not going to happen straight away doesn't mean we shouldn't be getting, we shouldn't be preparing for it. We should be, we should be working towards it now. And anybody who's talking about building and low-lying areas near the sea should, I would uh, suggest, think again. 
Okay, all right. Listen, we'll let you go, and uh, best of luck to everybody involved with that official opening of Vans Grove today. And David, thank you for joining us on the program this morning. Always a pleasure, Patricia. Good morning Keep to you. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Cork East Finnegale Dáil Deputy uh, David Stant. With figures showing that nearly a quarter of the Gardaí who left the force last year resigned rather than retired, the question of morale amongst our force must be looked at. Cork East Labour Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock is concerned about morale here in Cork County, especially with the delay in the building of the new headquarters for the Cork County Policing and Deputy Sean Sherlock joins me. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning Patricia. And, and you're welcome and I, I, I know you were a one uh, in the one of those in the doll yesterday who was at a full capacity for the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's uh, address. Did you ever witness anything like it before in the doll? No and one felt Patricia that one was uh, you know a little part was witnessing a significant part of history uh, yesterday, uh, it was quite a moving address, very poignant, uh, given that he is a wartime president and he is addressing us in the midst of a war that's taking place and uh, an invasion that is occurring within his country, that he took time out to actually address the Irish Parliament, I think speaks volumes uh, about his role as president and about him as a person. But his message was very clear. His message was that the Western world needs to step up to the mark in terms of taking on Putin uh, and certainly his message yesterday. And I think the response, the measured response of of all party leaders and none uh, was, was quite remarkable. But it, when you were sitting in the chamber and you're looking up at President Zelensky, uh, you're looking at a person who, uh, you know, you can't imagine what he must be internalising in terms of what's happening to his own people, quite literally as he was speaking. Nobody could prepare you for that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think he is a remarkably strong person. But for us to have had the privilege of the address, I think, is something that will stay with me, certainly as one TD, you know, for the rest of my life. It was a, a real privilege to be part of that. And, uh, I, I, and I was very conscious. I mean, obviously I was on air, so I didn't see it live. I watched it afterwards. But I was also very conscious of knowing that in the viewing gallery were some of the refugees. Indeed. And w- when you... He thanked the Irish people for their response. But we have witnessed in our own towns and villages the response uh, you know and, and while not wishing to sing, signal or single out any particular community I think you know the, the, the nearest community to me that has rallied behind the Ukrainian people have been say for instance the people of Butterfant yeah. where when when Ukrainian people came into Butterfant those weeks ago you know some weeks ago they just rallied instinctively intuitively and the Irish response, I think, has always been intuitive when it comes to people in need, no matter where they are uh, throughout the world. And I, I think that Zelensky was responding to that because I think his ambassador has been feeding back, you know, back to the president's office about the response that Ireland has given to the needs of people. And I think Butterfant is, along with other communities, but as, you know, when you look at an entire community in a very short space of time, uh, mobilising to respond to the needs of an incoming community, 
it, you know, it was just phenomenal yeah, to witness what was, was happening in Portland. And the way they did it within hours, and as you say, that's reflected. Literally within hours. It's reflected all over the country. It's terrific. OK, uh, back to the issue we've invited you onto the programme um, for today, the morale uh, amongst the Gardaí. Now, go, just to get, I suppose to give a background to this, it was back in 2019 it was announced that the new divisional headquarters, it's for Cork North and Cork West, will be directed from a new station in McCroom. Now, do we know where we're at with that new headquarters and when that will come on stream? Quite frankly, we, I don't have the answer to that because it's very difficult to get the answer to that. And when I raised this, it was actually Colin Burke, my colleague, Deputy Colin Burke, who raised uh, you know, the issue of McCroom at the Public Accounts Committee last week. And I took up the cudgel then when, when I had the chance to speak on it. And I asked the commissioner, look, you know, what is the relationship with the OPW and where stands the tender process for the delivery of that? Because, you know, there was much fanfare made about you know, all of these new operational, uh, you know, geographical operational areas and, you know, the divisional headquarters for, you know, Cork North West would be housed in McCroom. But we still don't know exactly when McCroom will be built. We still don't know. We still don't have the answer. And that's something that we're actively pursuing now through the OPW. But the commissioner wasn't able to tell me when, uh, you know, McCroom would be up and running. And it, it, it points to a narrative that is emerging in respect to the operations of Angarda Shikana. Because I remember in 2007, I remember the in respect of Fermoy, the late uh, Brian Lenehan, when he was Justice Minister visiting uh, Fermoy. And, you know, we were going to be talking about a new station in Fermoy. And that never transpired. And what's happening now is that you have a Garda Shikana force that is, you know, outgrowing its uh, individual stations, you know, especially, especially in divisional stations. And that's why the need for McCroom is, we need to have answers as to when that will come on stream, will it, when it will become live. But further to that, we need to then look at other stations as to, and see what kind of modernization takes place within those stations as well, so that if you've got growing Garda numbers, you know, that they are in appropriate uh, stations and that they have the facilities that they need. And, that, you know, the evidence is there now that that clearly isn't the case. And on top of that, again, you have a situation where, uh, you know, the policing authority is telling us that on... as you know, far back as February 28th, uh, that, you know, the strength of the Gardaí is 14,050 Garda Shikana, but that the GRA is telling us that that's not an accurate figure because the rate of attrition, you know, the numbers of Gardaís who are out on a, a Garda, who are out on a, a, a monthly basis is approximately, you know, 1,400 Garda. And then on top of that, you have, you know, resignations, and then you have people who are ageing out and, you know, you don't have a recruitment to backfill those positions. And my understanding, based on discussions I've had with the GRA, is that we haven't had new recruits into Templemore in 2022. Well, there was, wasn't there the big recruitment drive, what was it, to bring 800 more people uh, that, into the force recently? And that's the point. And my understanding, and again, these figures need to be corroborated because there is the justice plan that is set out by the Minister, Minister McEntee in respect of, uh, you know, what the competency of the uh, on Garda Shikana will be in terms of numbers. And, you know, we're, we're being told that government policy now is that it will be 800. But, but even though you may have recruitment, what we're not seeing is the evidence of 
people coming out and I'm only talking about 2022 uh, you know so we need to interrogate those figures a bit more closely because if it is the case that if they if on Garda Shikhan is saying that you know their strength is 14,000 approximately if you have you know over 1,000 of those who are out on a monthly basis on a rolling monthly basis then it's clear that the strength is it's it's under par uh, in terms of the strength. So how can you police communities in that type of scenario? So there are question marks to be asked around the recruitment process. There are question marks to be asked around the retention of existing Gardaí. And then there are question marks or questions to be asked about, you know, the buildings because yeah you know. because well I mean if you, if you want a Gardaí to operate you know modern police force they need to be in a modern building and I mean McCroom wasn't it back in 2010 that we had the Gardaí in McCroom planning a walkout because it was overcrowded and that was back in 2010 that's it and that's why I'm raising these issues now because I think in the a lot of these issues I would say were suppressed uh, because other issues overtake. Obviously, the pandemic was, was the big news item, you know, for the last two years, and now Ukraine. But but all the while, there is something happening with Angarda, within Angarda Shikana that does not tell, uh, you know, a, a good story. And, and that's why people like me as opposition TDs, we're asking the questions now as to when McCroom will, will be op- become operational. And in that narrative around the new divisions, you know, what happens to stations like Mallow? You know, one would like to see these stations modernised now and become fit for purpose for my uh, in particular as well. And there are other stations throughout the county as well which are in need of, mm. uh, you know, where they hold core competencies like Traffic Corps or Drug Squad or, or, or whatever, you know. And this will be, when this is up and running, it's, I mean, this is a, a headquarters that will cover a huge area. I think if it's somewhere like from Alihees down in West, uh, right over to Yall in the East and everything in between. It's covering a massive geographical area, and I said that to the commissioner last week. I, I, you know, I, I think you know if you were a Garda commissioner and you were looking at what McCroom is to deliver, you'd be saying that well, the force has to de- is delivering for a massive geographical mm. area, and you'd have to be if you were the Garda commissioner and you were meeting with the chair of the OPW, which he said that he was on a regular basis. You'd have to be asking the question as to you know when can we see. The, the diggers in the ground for McCroom. Yeah. If we accept the premise that McCroom is the divisional headquarters covering the entire county, as you say, from Allahys to Yall, then you know what we want to see is the evidence of, of that policy bearing fruit. Okay. But also what we want to see is other stations as well which are in need of modernisation where, as I've referenced earlier, for my Garda station, it's just too small yeah. now for what it is supposed to deliver okay. in terms of but, a modern no police definit- force. no definitive answer. We'll keep a close eye on this. And just also, I heard you on our, our news bulletin there at uh, 10 o'clock. This is a kind of an annual topic that we certainly cover on this programme. And this is the, the need, the universal need for access to, to school transport. Every single year, Sean, I deal with parents who can't get their son or daughter onto, onto the school bus. You're saying now we need a universal access. I, I think we need to move towards that kind of model because if the if the if if the world is moving towards public transport or greening of transport, where you're taking people out of cars and putting them into public transport, then it seems obvious to me that what you need in that. And I've had this discussion with somebody at a high level within the Department of Education yesterday, where you know this idea that 
parents are in this, what I call, Darwinian lottery for concessionary tickets year in, year out. If you made, if you shifted the uh, distance requirements to make it more accessible to people, you'll get a lot more people into buses. Now, it will cost you money, but, you know... But it will take cars off the roads as well. It will take cars off the road, and that's the key point. It will take cars off the road, and it has a carbon... Uh, you know, it has a carbon or climate action, a positive effect on climate action. And what it does is, you know, if you're a parent, you know, your child gets on the bus, you know that where exactly the child is going. You know, it takes a lot of pressure off parents as well in the mornings where you're trying to do the school runs. That's a, you know, that's a key win. So that's low-hanging fruit. If the Department of Education, the Department of Transport could come together and create a modern fit-for-purpose school transport scheme that is in keeping with you know, mainland Europe, for instance, where these things just are naturally provided for people, then I think, you know, there's a possibility there for for, for the minister to do that. And I suppose that's what I'm pushing back on again, trying to, you know, if we can socialise ourselves into the idea that, you know, we have school transport and it's, you know, if people have to walk a little bit to get on a bus, people will walk a little bit to get on a bus. Uh, But make it more available for more people in both urban and rural areas and and you'll take a load of cars off the road. A lot of parents will will hear, I can hear them cheering uh, from here. And just very finally, I just had David Stanton on the programme a couple of minutes ago and he mentioned that Ansgrove is getting the official opening uh, later today. I mean, that was, Ansgrove is something, I remember you describing it as the jewel that could invigorate tourism in the area. That's right. I mean, we've been working on this for, for a long time now, uh, ever since I was a minister, actually. And, uh, you know, luckily we were able to put in place when I was in government a process where this state could intervene to take over the property. So I was glad to, that we achieved that on, on my watch. And and we all know, anybody who ha- has ever visited Ansgrove knows what the potential of Ansgrove is. And if you take, you know, Donrell Court now, Ansgrove, you know, you know, uh, Gaston Roach itself is a is a beautiful village. You know there there is a massive potential now to develop it uh, as you know a major tourist attraction. Yeah, and that's what we around. have to, we have to do. Uh, we ha- particularly in an area like North Cork that isn't traditionally seen as a tourism area. We need to provide facilities like that, and and the people will follow. They they, uh, they definitely will. Indeed, around historical gardens. Yeah, that that could be the thematic yeah. area. Absolutely, absolutely. Lots of people will come. I'm over on time. Listen, Sean, thank, thank you, you for that, and uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Corky's neighbour Joel Deputy Sean Sharp. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And somebody says, Patricia, where is Anne's uh, Grove and what is there? Thanking you, because I spoke with both the Cork East uh, TDs, David Stanton and Sean Charlie about Anne's Grove. I'm completely forgetting that everybody probably is not not aware of where or what Anne's Grove is. Anne's Grove is in Castletown Roach. It's regarded as one of the most picturesque and historically important sites of its kind in the country. And there's been a major refurbishment and a major restoration project been going on for many many years now and today is seeing the official opening um, of the the of the work that's been done so far. Most of the work has been done around the gardens. There's 190 uh, acres in total. There's gardens, there's parkland and of course Ansgrove, the house itself. It's an 18th century house and outbuildings and there was initial work was done uh, working on the world famous gardens and also on outbuildings that were in particularly poor repair and 
and some of the outbuildings were in danger of collapse so there was a, a lot of work done from 2016 I think up to about 2019 to get that sort of work done and work on the old estate walls and the roads and the pathways and car parking facilities and that's kind of where they're at now so the opening up now is to do with the gardens and the walkways now I do know that there's lots more ambitious uh, plans for example uh, Minister O'Donovan said that the OPW they're currently planning the next phase of work at Anne's Grove and there's a planning application going to be lodged for the development of facilities things like a cafe exhibition spaces and obviously conservation of the main house that's going to be most important but it is a rather unique plant collection and uh, it's certainly to ramble around the gardens at Anne's Grove it's, it's just truly stunning so what's now initially going to open is access to the extensive garden the riverside walks and I'm also told I think there's going to be some catering offered on site as well so it's in Castletown Roach and my apologies I should have clarified that Uh, when I mentioned it earlier and somebody else is asking about Ukrainian refugees and wondering how many Ukrainian refugees are in the UK. The last I saw on figures for the UK was at the weekend uh, when the UK government say 25,500 visas have been granted to Ukrainian refugees since the beginning of March and they were issued to people hoping to join, join relatives in the UK. Now I don't know if that's to say 25,500 Ukrainian refugees have arrived in the UK because if you follow anything on social media you'll see the frustration of Ukrainian people living in England trying to get loved ones to join them and they have places for them them to stay you know they're going to put them up and they're hugely frustrated there seems to be an awful lot of red tape going on and I know I mentioned this yesterday I've been dealing with some of my own family members my relatives living in England are trying to help out with a family of I think there's 11 in total between there's a grandmother a couple of mothers and children and grandchildren and they're trying to they've ended up there in Lister Varna was the last I heard that that group of Ukrainian refugees because they were just coming up against brick walls trying to get the visa sorted out to go to the UK but the, officially it's 25,500 I don't know why that person is asking that but it's the official figure from the from the UK uh, government and Anne says Patricia I was listening to you your opening remarks about what's going on in Ukraine I feel so sick and helpless why can't all the countries simply come together and bomb the Kremlin and kill that mad monster that is Putin I don't understand why the might of people like the USA Germany and Britain why they're not doing more well they'll say they're not doing more because they are terrified of a world war and we know what a world war would mean nuclear and that's they're terrified that he'll press a nuclear uh, button and for that reason he um, uh, they're all very nervous and that's the reason why uh, NATO is so afraid to intervene as well okay closer to home then this is on Tony Houlihan and his new position. Michael has been on to say, is the Tony Houlihan Trinity College appointment the Catherine Sapone affair all over again? Perhaps the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, running away with himself as usual. Tony Houlihan should do the honourable thing and step back from this job or else he'll end up being hounded out of it. His record is not very bright, particularly when you look back to the cervical smear scandal. Uh, furthermore, why should the general public have to pay his inflated wages, that's how Michael puts it, into Trinity College? It's a pure insult to those struggling, trying to feed their children and keep them with food, lighting and heating in the midst of what is rapidly rising prices in this country. Stephen Donnelly is Minister for Health. This questions to answer. Somebody has to shout stop. Thank you, and that's from uh, Michael. 
and the Department of Health, they've refused to answer questions about who did sign off on Dr Tony Houlihan. He's been seconded to what is a newly created role in Trinity College. So he moves from the Department of Health, he moves from his role as Chief Medical Officer, he goes into Trinity College but his salary of 187000 which is obviously a public service salary that he gets from the Department of Health, that wage packet goes with him to Trinity College because he's been seconded from one job into the other job. Now, the Chief Medical Officer takes up the role as Trinity Professor of Health Strategy and Leadership and he's going to take up that role in July with his salary and his pension funded by the Department of Health Bearing in mind that the Department of Health is already under pressure uh, to spend its money on expertise to reform what is an ailing health service. So straight away, when I heard about it, that was my first question, Mark. Can the Department of Health afford to let €187,000 a year for I don't know how many years he will hold this role? Can they afford to let that go? Now, there's been a lot of questions over this appointment. And I think at the start, when the appointment was made, there was, you know, the CMO standing down from his position. And then the announcement that he's taking up uh, this position with Trinity College. Nobody d- didn't think too much of that, I and mean, particularly the job that he's going into, you know, Professor of Health Strategy and Leadership, who better than, you know, because he steered this country through a pandemic and you think he will be educating the young people coming up and the future CMO. So that wasn't in itself a bad appointment. But then when I think the news broke that the Department of Health is going to fund the position, that's I think when questions really started to be asked by people. Now there was an Oireachtas Health Committee meeting yesterday and Robert Watt, who God knows the Department of Health's General Secretary who was involved in his own storm, overpay, he revealed that Dr Houlihan's new role would be of indefinite duration and he didn't provide an answer on who signed off on the CMO's move. Nobody seems to, is putting their hands up saying, yes, it was me. I, I was the one. Senior politicians yesterday expressed their disquiet around the circumstances of this appointment. I know the Public Expenditure Minister, Michael McGrath, uh, he said it would normally be the case that the host body in this case Trinity College, that's receiving the services of somebody, in the normal case, they will be the one paying the salaries. So Michael McGrath saying we need to just work through and clarify with the Department of Health some of the specifics around it. And even the Higher Education Minister, Simon Harris, he's called for clarity and information around the appointment. Then he is the Higher Education Minister who would, you know, who would have a role in Trinity College. So you'd be thinking, surely he should know uh, what is going on. Um, Simon Harris said, while nobody is questioning the merits of the appointment of Dr Hulan to the academic post but he certainly said questions need to be answered and then I was trying to follow this online because Tony Houlihan is in before the Oireachtas Health Committee meeting today and obviously he's been asked questions about his secondment to Trinity uh, College and he said in his opening address to the Oireachtas Committee on Health today that it's not his intention to return to the role as Chief Medical Officer at any point into the future because I, so when I heard him say that 
or saw that he had said that, I said, well, that pulls, that puts my idea out. I thought maybe the fact that the Department of Health were paying for the secondment to Trinity was because they believed that Dr Tony Houlihan would one day come back and take up his role as Chief Medical Officer. But he's categorically stated now that no, he has no intention of going back to the role at any point in the uh, future. So that's, to me, adds another layer of why, therefore, then, are the Department of Health paying for his secondment to Trinity College Dublin when the role when when this and it has happened civil servants have been seconded from one department to another uh, department but the public expenditure minister Michael McGrath clearly stating that in normally what happens is the host body in this case Trinity College who will be receiving the services very valuable services of Dr Tony Houlihan why, therefore, are they not paying the salary? There's more to run on this story for sure. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. With Munster Technological University, enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time, part time, and professional courses. Succeeding together with MTU.ie. Ground workers are wanted from McCroom and Cork City. Uh, email CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Cleaning staff are wanted for St. Gubnitz Nursing Home that's in Ballyagram. Contact Maura at saintst.gubnitz at gmail.com. An office administrator is required for full and part-time position that's in the North Cork area, 87 286 and a full-time beauty therapist is wanted for Cove. Lisa is your contact at 086 215 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now, last week it was announced that Russian troops had left the nuclear power plant in Chernobyl, having occupied it since almost the beginning of the invasion of Ukraine at the end of February. It was reported that many of the troops were suffering from radiation sickness. To share her concerns about the situation now around that nuclear plant, I'm joined by Aidy Roach of the Chernobyl Children's International. Good morning to you, Aidy. Good morning, Patricia. Aidy, it's been confirmed that Russian soldiers dug trenches in the most contaminated part of the exclusion zone. I spoke with you at the outbreak of this war when you Mm -hmm. had huge concerns. This was the type of thing, wasn't it, that you were most worried about? This is like, I suppose, I feel like we're sometimes living in a twilight world or in this kind of nightmare world where your worst fears and your worst trepidations actually came to pass. Yes, we did. From Do you know what, Patricia, I can still remember the morning of the 24th of February when the news came cascading through our radios into our bedrooms, into our kitchens and our living rooms about the war outbreak of the invasion. And I remember when I clued into, oh my God, they've gone through the exclusion zone. And that said to me, this has changed the nature of modern warfare as we know it. And they boldly and brazenly went on to take over the reactor site and terrible things were going on there. They shut off the monitoring system. There were fires created in the zone. And we heard anecdotal evidence that they had been digging trenches and that and then it got confirmed, as you said in your introduction, Patricia, and it has been confirmed by satellite that they the images are there to show the trenches. But the price they will pay for that 
like will rain down upon humanity, including themselves, because seven busloads of Russian soldiers were taken out with radiation sickness and brought in to a facility in Gomel in southern Belarus. And now because, um, you know, like the tank path from the Chernobyl plant coming from um, Belarus all the way to Kiev, which, of course, course was where they were heading, um, all of the communities down there, um, like now massive amounts of radiation being, you know, from war paraphernalia, troop movement, the heavy equipment, the big tank things, and everything that's got to do with war, including thousands of soldiers. And they have kicked up and drenched entire vast areas of land with massive amounts of radioactivity. And Patricia, because this, ra- this radiation, about- this radiation yeah. is in the soil. Left undisturbed, it just remains in the soil. But going in there with tanks and digging trenches, digging you're, trenches. you're digging up the radiation, disturbing it, and that gets released into the atmosphere. Exactly. And Patricia, another thing that they were doing there, and all of this was because of utter ignorance, because like, these are only young conscript soldiers, not, not, still, some of them still in their teenage years. And they were just told you dig trenches, that's what warfare does. And like what they didn't realise that all around that area, there are about 600 shallow nuclear graves, which are full of, we'll say, the, you know, the, the effects of somebody's house their trains or their buses, their children's toys, school materials, clothing for people's washing lines. Everything in 1986 had to be buried, but they're in very shallow graves. So if there is heavy movement or too much movement, um, you know, all this has come to pass and it can't be controlled. And the information, uh, Patricia, about the three serious elements it, it almost like I actually didn't sleep till about half past five this morning because all things were spinning around in my head. They're, you're talking about strontium affects the bones, causes cancer of the bones, americium, the worst of all, blood cancer, and again the bones, and cesium is in the muscles and in the reproductive organs. And like already, like our contacts there are saying the children are drenched in this, it's on their skin, it's on their clothes. And they have been down in the bunkers for five weeks. They came out. This stuff rained upon them. And what's going to happen to them now? Like, I mean, this is like, it's like, you know, I was saying to JP there, it's like another war, Patricia. It's like a war within a war. The first war, the physical war, has caused the second invisible war of a second Chernobyl. And we can't even measure the true impact or scale of this do you, do you, double tragedy. Do you think people need to be evacuated from the area? Uh, Patricia, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but um, according to um, world-renowned scientist Professor Yuri Bandershevsky, he's the man, he's the world's leading expert on all of this because that's why he was even living there, was monitoring all of this in the land and in people and the impact of low-dose exposure uh, to people through the food chain because it would be getting some of it anyway even when it's resting in the soil it still comes up to root vegetables now for example like carrots and and, and you know things and, and things like that um, I would say unfortunately there is there is no way that they can stay in this environment 
currently. And I suppose this is beyond all this, Patricia. This isn't about like like you and I used to be doing many for many, many years and still, well, we can't do it because of COVID, but bringing children in for rest and recuperation. This is a gargantuan task because you're talking about at least 300,000 people, at least. Wow. That's at a guesstimate. They, they need to be urgently moved and decontaminated um, in clean areas of Ukraine. But when there's a war going on, because there are vast areas in Ukraine where there, you know, where the war, thank God, hasn't, um, you know, hasn't been um, as strong. We need to, like, uh, this is something that has to go to the UN. It needs to go to world governments. Um, because this is something unprecedented, um, you know. You know, I, I, like, and it's very difficult to get the information because it's very hard. Um, you know, their internet had been cut off, and people you couldn't message. And the Russians had bombed the one and only bridge, Patricia, into the place. Can you believe that? So now they're using bits of timber, you know, pallets of timber, to try and, and get across. to try and get across. But I, I suppose the only thing is, Patricia, we did manage to get some aid in. And that, I can tell you, was a gargantuan task because we had got it, an appeal, um, you know, like from uh, Yuri Bandashevsky. This is before he knew anything about the radiation or anything. And he basically said, like, people are not going to die from the war. He said they're going to die from dehydration and starvation. And we were trying our best to get the aid in. And everybody said, it's too dangerous, it's too dangerous. But would you believe, Patricia, at 12 o'clock on Friday, we got the news which said Battle of Ivanki, which is the name of the place, the people were liberated. And thanks be to God, we found an organisation, like we've been working with them through Trokra, called Caritas. And Caritas are there in Kiev. And we were able to provide the financial resources and they got water and food well in uh, the well following done. day. Yeah. Because but, got, like liberation of, and, and there was much celebration liberation. of this area that had been liberated, but it yeah. is now coming with such a heavy price. Oh my, I, do you know what, Patricia, I swear to God, like, I mean, I haven't allowed myself in the space of the six weeks of the war because it feels like, you know, six years. I haven't allowed myself to shed a tear, but I am so close to it because these will be the forgotten people. You know, the world is talking about, and thanks be to God, people have opened their homes and, and, and old schools are opening and convents and everything. And we have been not found wanting, to, as as you know, we never are when it comes to the suffering of others. But these are the people that are going to be completely forgotten because they're not even acknowledged yet. I don't think the Ukrainian government even know anything about this. And they also confirmed to us that the radiation fires that we had been told were put out, that they believe that they are still raging. And that puts the fires back up, or the radioactivity back up into the Earth's atmosphere. And it's just, you know, I mean, this is a war within a war. And I'm, I'm trying my best to get to speak to... You know, to keep people. But when this is as critical as, as it is, um, I haven't managed yet to get anybody in very high authority that we can say, you know, I know you don't want to hear this news, but there is another disaster happening. And it's only happening like 60, 70 kilometers north of Kiev. Yeah, and, and, from the and ra- radiation doesn't know borders. I mean, if radiation wants to leak out across Europe, it will leak out across Europe. Patricia... You never said a true word. Like, as, as we'd often say, it, it, radiation knows no boundaries. It doesn't need a visa to travel in or out of any country. 
or, or affect any people. It doesn't differentiate between man, woman, child, pregnant woman, elderly person, sick person. It just does its lethal damage um, to all aspects. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So this is a concern. Like, I mean, I hate to say hopefully it's only confined to their own areas. Um, but we've but no way, we don't know. We have no we, way of knowing. And it doesn't no. it also raise the issue of something that you spoke about at the start of this of this hideous war, that all nuclear facilities have got to be deemed no war zones. Perfect. That is, that, that, that actually was, you know, I mean, that is exactly what we need to do. And actually, we had just written to Simon Coveney um, the other day with the results of a snapshot petition that we did on that plea, Patricia, which we announced on your radio station um, all those weeks ago about, you know, declaring this no war zone for any nuclear facility because this is madness. What's happening in Chernobyl is pure and utter insanity. And, I mean, it has taken warfare to a whole new low. And, like, I mean, the people there are facing a precipice. First of all, they have been so violated by the invaders, like, you know, women being raped and, and what children have witnessed. I, I mean, we shudder to think about it. And now they have been liberated, like, from that oppression and out of five weeks been in a bunker. And I swear to God, now they're facing this. Now they have no consciousness of it, by the way, because it's only because this scientist, uh, like, you know, knows us and, and we help his research facility there that, like, we've got this information first. But I swear to God, Patricia, like the world does not know this story. They do not know this story. And it's to try and get to President, you know, Zelensky, except like he is, you know, he's up to his oxters in like daily tragedy. Um, You know, and so the only way we can do it is to to talking to you, Patricia, and that the hope is that your listeners are, you know, are, are tuned into this and they're saying, well, I can pick up a phone and I can ring my politician 
and say, you know, that this is something that Ireland should row in behind. We're not asking for them to be brought to Ireland. That would be too traumatic and also it would be too dangerous. But we need them to be taken out of this area to be decontaminated and to be housed somewhere away from there. It can be hopefully on their own Western territory because we know that the Russians have pulled back and they're entrenched now in more in the eastern uh, part of Ukraine. Um, but that the world would respond to help them to stay in situ. They may, according to Professor Bandashevsky, they will never be able to return to their home. Oh my God. We're back again yeah. to almost to 1986. We really are. And yeah. just finally, AD, any word from the hospital where your teams were conducted? That was in Kharkiv, wasn't it? A, yes, exactly. Gee, because we, we, we talk about them and think about them so much. Like Dr. Igor, who was the lead cardiac surgeon and, you know, who was our man kind of on the ground there and he had the team that was, you know, financially supported by Ireland and we'd fly in the, you know, the cardiac surgeons from America and everywhere. Um, he literally saw his own apartment building bombed in front of his eyes and he himself and his wife literally just ran and got, um, they are now in Lviv and that is where the, he's now doing all the cardiac surgeries and everything and we did fly in, as you know, the, the emergency during the war and everything, flew in the cardiac team. We're now actually uh, working on collecting to cardiac surgeons and hospitals the the key equipment that they need because about nearly 300 hospitals have, uh, are bombed to oblivion, um, uh, Patricia. So, like, he is able to function, but they won't be able to function much longer because the stuff that we sent out with the surgeons is almost gone. So we will be we have a route planned and everything to get it in there. We have an Irish guy on the Polish border ready to drive it in for us. But um, we, we're just gathering that at the moment. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 honestly, Patricia, I'm sorry. I just wish we were able to talk sometime just about something wonderful and beautiful. But I suppose we have to just say to ourselves that, you know, the power of our love can overcome the love of power of, you know, of some people and that the power of our love, we will send that out by the bucket load through that umbilical cord between us and the people of Ukraine and that we're saying to them, you know, that they're not forgotten and that we are here to stand by them shoulder to shoulder and we will do what, we will keep doing what we do, Patricia. And thank you so well much. Well done. And, and, and the ones that are here will house, shelter and protect and, and keep them safe until they can get back to their beautiful country because that's what they all want to do, all of the war refugees that are here. AD, always a pleasure. We'll speak thank again you. in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank uh, you. Good morning to you. That is uh, the uh, wonderful AD Roach of uh, Chernobyl Children's International. And actually somebody sent in a text earlier, Pat in from Moy. I'm not aware of this programme, Pat, but I certainly will take a look at it, saying there was a very interesting programme on Channel 4 on Chernobyl Noble. He, he reckons everybody should look at the programme. It was a very factual programme. Uh, he, he, he says he was always trying to get evidence about the dangers from radiation and it's called The New Evidence is the name of the programme and it's information from the World Health Organisation. I shall make a note Pat and try and track that down. Thank you for that. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. 
C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Cleena Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. Here's a little bit of showbiz news because it seems singing megastar Billie Eilish's Irish roots can be traced back to West Cork and more specifically to the Clubhouse Bar in Lisbalet near Dunmanway. And that has been revealed uh, according to Kieran O'Mahony in this week's Southern Star. And Kieran O'Mahony uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Kieran. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you, you're, How are you? Yeah, I always knew there was a look of a superstar about you. Now, now, tell me <laughs> firstly: Has Billie Eilish? Does she speak a lot about her Irish roots? Yeah, um, what I've seen in, in interviews, and you know, when she's played Ireland, I suppose pre-pandemic, and in, in those interviews, she's mentioned about Irish roots and Scottish roots, but she never had any uh, specific details about it. So I don't think, like, maybe they haven't really researched them. Her family haven't researched it themselves. Mm. But but um, a cousin of mine, Ian O'Brien, in 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 Surrey, in the UK, he's uh, big into an ancestry and tracing cousins. So he went about looking. Uh, he was chasing or tracing his own. But he like so he came across this then the connection. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that he went looking for Billy Eilish. He, he no, just happened no, to happen no. to. And if you look at Billy's family, I mean, her brother. They're very Irish names. I mean, her parents very. are. Patrick and Maggie, and, exactly, it, and, yeah. and it's Phineas, isn't it? Is her brother? It's Phineas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they've they've got uh, they, they certainly have stuck with their Irish uh, roots. So talk me through what your cousin Ian O'Brien in Surrey yeah. discovered about the West Cork yeah. connection. So like yeah, he was as I said been doing research, but it was only in recent weeks that he came across the connection, and he found that Billy's great grandfather was William H O'Connell from the clubhouse in Lisbale in the Manway. And that he married Catherine T. O'Connell, O'Connell, sorry, from nearby even Cora. And both, both had immigrated to America at the, around the turn of the 1900s, and they got married there. And they were uh, apparently second cousins when they married. I was just going to say they were both yeah. O'Connells. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that exactly. was common. Yeah, that was, uh, listen, that was common practice. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, Niall O'Brien is a second cousin of mine in Kilbritton and he's a cousin of Ian's as well and he said that William O'Connell was the first cousin of his father's grandfather while the wife was the second cousin of his grandfather also. Okay. So and in that case it becomes I'm doubly related <laughs> to the O'Connells. Okay. And so I'm a fourth cousin oh. or third, third cousin removed. And there, there, so there's a lot of cousins around West Cork. Should Billy decide yeah. to, to 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 exactly, come and yeah, and, yeah. and invest investigate? And she's due. She's coming back to Ireland, isn't she? In June, she is. Yeah, she's due in the uh, old tree in Dublin uh, in June for the Happier Than Ever tour, and that's just ahead of her headlining Glastonbury as well. So it, it might, you know, she might take a trip down to the clubhouse bar you, 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 you never know and, and yeah. yeah because I'm I'm. do you know if she's ever been to West Cork has there been any sightings uh, ever in West Cork no not no. that I know of no no not, I don't think so but you know maybe she went incognito now yeah but, she uh, could have yeah, yeah she could have but I suppose it's exciting for the Cotter family as well um, who were who were cousins and 
and are descendants of the O'Connells as well. So they must be excited too about the connection. And and Ian, your cousin, who did all the, all the, in fairness, who did all the research, has he reached out to Billy Eilish to say, "Look, I found you. This is part of your yeah, family tree." He, oh, he um, he sent uh, Billy's father Patrick a message on and ancestry dot com. Yeah, but he, he hasn't replied yet. <laughs> and uh, Ian said, Ian said, like he, as far as Ian himself knows, he may be the first person to identify this uh, specific connection to the manway. We haven't seen this anywhere else. And in fairness to Ian, he sent me a lot, a lot of information about the whole family and other relations. And, you know, it's fascinating have you what dis- work he has undertaken. Yeah. Have you discovered many long lost no, relatives? I'm, I'm, I'm still going through, through, <laughs> through the information he sent me now. It, it's fa- is it, ancestry is fascinating, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. We did, myself and John Paul, uh, it was before Christmas, we did uh, Ancestry.com had got us to send off our saliva. Oh, he was, yeah, he was and, saying yeah, that earlier. Yeah. We had so much fun. And the one thing I will say to anybody who decides to go down and, and trace your roots, you will spend hours piling over information and going exactly, down. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. That's why yeah. I felt the time capsule part of the census, census exactly, was yeah. so important for the future genealogists when they start yeah. digging up um, uh, about us. It'll be brilliant if Billy did one of those, you know, who do you think you are programmes. Exactly, would... this would be ideal. I'd say the whole, well, I'd say the whole thing is mapped out for her now. <laughs> but, you know, she went to Ian maybe and he, he would explain and show her all the connections then as well. And the big question, so, Kieran: are you a fan of Billie Eilish's music? Uh, a bit like. I, I, I mean, we were only watching her collect the Oscar a few weeks ago yeah. and about it, two days later I got a phone call from Niall O'Brien telling me that we might be related to Oscar winner. And I was walking so I had, couldn't really hear him and I, <laughs> it was very confusing. But, you know, he when I got back to him afterwards, yeah, there was a, the connection. And of course, she's a talented, she's not just a talented singer, she's a singer-songwriter. She writes with her brother, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the two of them are, are multi-talented, really. Like, and, uh, her, like, her, like yourself, Kieran. I know. And her, her parents, Patrick and Maggie, were both actors as well, apparently. That's in the, it's it's yeah. in the genes. Yeah. So, and uh, how far in the genes has it, has it come down to you? Do you sing? Uh, no, definitely not. That definitely hasn't applied there. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen. It would be fantastic if if her her dad reaches out and finds it, you know. And yeah, it, and it'd be and lovely. It'd be lovely if she if she came to West Cork. Yeah, and we've tweeted her. I think tweets have gone out now to her official account and things. So, you know, hopefully, you know, she might turn up uh, down in the man with the Ballybee Racers or something. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. If she's around. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, don't don't be stalking her, Kieran. All right. Don't. No, fight. No. We don't want to frighten her off either. Uh, yeah, listen, exactly. it's, it's a great story. It really is a great story. And yeah. I'm looking at a photograph of you and a photograph of Billy. I, yeah, I can see. Yeah, I can see. There's no family <laughs> resemblance there for sure. No, All no. right. Listen, Kieran. pleasure to talk to you. Thank right, you for that. Thanks for joining yeah. us. Uh, bye bye. Kieran O'Mahony, there, journalist with the Southern Star. If you're seeing um, 
Kieran, go ask for autographs. He's now officially related to the wonderful megastar Billy Eilish. We were talking about farmers generating power that could be sold onto the national grid earlier on. It's a suggestion that's been put forward by Deputy David Stanton, and it kind of then led into a discussion about how in this country we need to be looking at more renewable sources of power, particularly with what we're looking at worldwide with the energy crisis we have ha- we're having at the moment. Uh, Dennis says, Patricia, I've sent you and indeed other radio stations various texts about solar, about wind and about forestry options for farmers in order to generate extra income over the last several years. And you know, I've always got abuse from other callers and texters and listeners saying I'm living in cloud cuckoo land. Look who's laughing now, says uh, Dennis. If people have been listening to the wise man, Dennis, all those years ago, and we are so behind with renewable power and even listening to David Stanton, Stanton talking about going off out to sea for wind uh, turbines and there, there are plans in place but we've been talking about that for so long and we're still at least 10 years away from it but because we live in an island if we had enough out at sea wind turbines to hear him say we could, we, we could actually be exporting power to other countries. Isn't that incredible? But we need to get moving on it and we need to get moving sooner rather than later. Thanks for your text, Dennis. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Racing home for Easter Festival. It's running uh, for three days at the Mallow Racecourse, Saturday the 16th to Monday the 18th of April. You can go along and enjoy three great days of racing at the Cork Racecourse Mallow. Live music. Sunday, Easter Sunday has the most stylish lady event and it's all about the family on the Easter Monday. Every day this week, we have a pair of tickets to send you racing on Easter Sunday and then tomorrow, our five names will go into a hat and one of our listeners will have their day Daily prize upgraded for dinner for two at the a reserved table at the restaurant at the race course. Admission to the race is a race uh, card, four course meal at the restaurant in the race course and then at the end of the day you'll come back and you'll get an overnight stay in Springford Hall Country House Hotel located only 10 minutes from the race course a super super prize and as we've done every day this week a racing question for you and you have to text or WhatsApp your answer please and we'll leave the text and WhatsApp open for about 15 minutes and then we will select our winner for today so today's question where is Fairy House race course located is it A, Kildare, or B, Meath? Where is Fairy House Racecourse located? A, Kildare, or B, Meath? So you could text your answer, please. A or B, launch your name and address to 0862 103 103 and you can text our WhatsApp to be in with a chance of winning tickets for racing on Easter Sunday and that super prize being upgraded uh, tomorrow. And if you want to get tickets for the Racing Home for Easter Festival, they are available now at corkracecourse.ie. And while we are awaiting our winner there for today, let me go and take a look at some of your texts and some of your calls coming in. Now, this is a kind of, this is, uh, I really feel for Ray and his family here who contacted us this morning. They are heading this weekend to the their daughter's graduation 
and they were really organised, very excited about the event. So they booked a hotel in Limerick, all set, all ready to go. I think it's tomorrow, actually, is graduation day for Ray's daughter. They woke this morning to an email that had arrived in from their hotel to say, sorry now, folks, but we have to cancel your accommodation for tomorrow night. So they immediately rang the hotel this morning to be told, no, sorry, we're cancelling all of the accommodation. We're honouring weddings and guests who are going to a wedding, but that's it. All other accommodation has been cancelled and when Bray pressed as to why, the hotel explained that they are now instead letting rooms for the Ukrainian refugees and Ray says because it's a short such short notice they've been trying all morning to see can they locate another hotel in the Limerick area in which they can stay and everybody's booked out because obviously it's, it's a weekend and if there's a lot of graduations going on there will be other people doing the, the, the same uh, thing. So Ray says they'd had re- they had a restaurant uh, booked they're going to have to cancel all of that now and instead they're going to have to head from West Cork journey to Limerick go to the graduation then get back in the car and head home. That's just so frustrating. And Ray's contacted us and just just to raise the issue and to make people aware of it. You're not the first, Ray, that I've heard that this has happened to. I know I saw somebody on social media last weekend who were booked, they were booked a party of four, they were booked to go to a concert I think it was in Dublin, actually. Anyway, the very same thing happened. They got notification from the hotel to say that they were cancelling their booking because the hotel was now being used for Ukrainian refugees. And listen, nobody is pointing a finger of blame with the Ukrainian refugees. God help them. They need to be looked after. But it does seem very unfair on people who are having their accommodation cancelled. And if it's at short notice and if it's at a busy time, at a busy weekend or there's a lot going on in, in the case now of that girl that I saw last weekend it was a concert in every hotel around the area where the concert was on were all was completely uh, booked out and I, do you know are we going to see more of it I think we are I actually think we are I think as we head into the summer months if we don't sort out long stay accommodation for some of the Ukrainian refugees many of them will remain staying in hotels which is going to have a knock on effect it's going to have a knock on effect for Irish people wanting to stay on a staycation or to attend an event it's also going to have a knock on for the hospitality industry for tourists coming into this country if there are not bed nights available so I mean all we can hope and pray for is that this war ends soon and the refugees who want to go home that they will go home but I certainly feel your pain uh, Ray so we'll just see has it happened to many others that they've had their accommodation cancelled and cancelled at pretty much short notice too short in order for you to be able to go and to get accommodation somewhere else it really really is frustrating and just staying on accommodation John in Cove says he's hearing of so many people who are being forced to leave their rented accommodation because their HAP their housing assistant payment is no longer meeting the rent levels that are required by the landlord or the landlady and people are being told to leave on a certain date and John says while that is going on we're bringing refugees in from Ukraine into this uh, country and the refugees appear to be getting looked after but not our uh, own. John says he's also hearing of people who are offering and opening up their own homes to house refugees. You never hear of Irish people offering to house homeless Irish people. Why are more people not doing that? I suppose people see it as two very different things. The war in Ukraine, people are being killed, they're fleeing for their lives I suppose is probably one of the reasons why people have been so generous. But listen John, you're not the first to say and the government themselves will say we have have a housing issue going on at the moment. 
and it couldn't have come at a worst time that we're suddenly trying to house all of these Ukrainian uh, refugees. And actually, when I mentioned earlier that somebody had asked me if I could check out how many Ukrainian refugees were in the UK, it was Dan had asked the question, I did a quick Google search and up to I think about four days ago 25,500 people have been issued with visas and these have been issued with visas for Ukrainian people who already have family in the UK but I did preface it by saying I don't know does that mean 25,500 have arrived because I'm hearing of so many people having difficulty trying to get in to England even those who have family members to stay with well Dan is back and I was wondering why Dan was asking the question he said Patricia the reason that I put that question to you about the refugee numbers in the UK is that listening to the radio we won't be able to cope by Easter apparently in this country while we have the United Kingdom a much larger country than Ireland and they seem to be taking the same number of people as we uh, shame on them and what Dan is talking about is the state's capacity to house Ukrainian refugees we're already been told that we are nearing exhaustion with a shortage of beds anticipated as soon as the end of this week and as many as 10,000 people having no accommodation at all. Now a lot of the papers are picking up on it. I heard it on the news with Barry as well. It's to do with a report that has secretly been sent into the Cabinet. I suppose just put them on alert to say we could have a major problem here in this country. See many ministers were told on Tuesday that with 580 refugees arriving every day. Around 5,000 additional beds would be needed between now and Easter, bearing in mind that Easter is only the weekend after next. And that would be to just meet that demand of 580 a day. And that would be on top of those who are already identified across hotels, B&Bs and guest houses, state facilities and from people who have already pledged vacant rooms and uh, homes. Um, Space has already been identified and that seems to be included in the numbers. Things like the facilities of the Green Glens Arena in Mill Street. They're expecting 400 people to be accommodated there. The Defence Force barracks at Gormanstown in County Meath. Tents have already been erected there. That's expected to accommodate 320 people. And government officials say they're carrying out a modelling exercise on this assumption that 580 refugees will arrive every day. The current seven-day rolling average of arrivals and if they continue to arrive until the end of June, based on that we'd have between 17 and 19,000 people who would be looking for accommodation by Easter weekend. Already a shortage of accommodation is anticipated by this weekend. That's a week out from uh, Easter. And the modelling forecasts that if more than 75% of the refugees look for accommodation from the state, then that's how they're coming up with this figure of 100,000 who literally would have nowhere to stay by the end of uh, April. Now, the Irish Refugee Council, obviously a charity working with refugees, they have said that the unoccupied holiday homes in this country should be prioritised and they're saying they should be used ahead of shared homes for the Ukrainian refugees. They're calling on the government that they need to start looking at a long-term solution and obviously un- unoccupied holiday homes would be a long-term solution 
if people were willing to say, well, I won't go to my holiday home this year. I would instead give it to Ukrainian uh, re- refugees. And then it was reported in, I think it was the Irish Independent, I read about it today, that some people who have already taken in Ukrainian refugees are now starting to see soaring household bills and some of them feel that they are simply being ignored by the state. It was raised by a an independent TD from Louth, a gentleman by the name of Peter Fitzpatrick. And he says that in County Louth, he's been approached by families. Some of these people, when the war first started, were so affected by what they were seeing on TV that they drove to the airport, made little homemade signs, offered people accommodation and took them home and said, look, I've got a bed and come with me, come bring your children, you know, and I'll put you up. And some of these families are now feeling isolated. They thought they were going to get some backup. They also were of the belief that the war would only last a few weeks and that they would only be offering the accommodation for a few weeks. Now suddenly we're six weeks in and the the refugees are still staying with them and their bills are rising all the time. And uh, Deputy Peter Fitzpatrick was making the point that over in the UK they're paying €350 a month to refugee hosts even though I don't know how many people that that's actually happening to, how many people are actually hosting refugees in the UK but I know the the scheme is there. So he's saying that we need to support Irish people who have been good enough to open up their homes and their hearts. The householders who took in refugees, uh, he said, wouldn't hesitate to do it again. But he said they'd have, they've had very little contact with the relevant government departments and they're getting absolutely no support. And he... Uh, Addressing his, he addressed his concerns to the Taoiseach Michal Martin, who in reply said that community response forums were being established with all of the local authorities. I mean, I know our own Cork County Council, Cork City Council are, are doing it and they're coordinating responses to the Ukrainian crisis. But he didn't give any mention of any payment to host families. And I know there's also been a shout out with if they do go down the route of people who have holiday homes deciding that this summer they won't stay in their holiday homes, that they'll offer them up instead to Ukrainian refugees. There's already been a call to say that if that happens, that people who own holiday homes, because some people rent out their holiday homes in the summer, it's kind of an income earner, that if they do that, that perhaps they should be financially compensated in in some way. But definitely, if the numbers continue and looking at what happen, what's happening in Ukraine, the awful situation that's happening in, in Ukraine, there's nothing to indicate that people are going to uh, stop leaving the country to just to get to safety, particularly the women and the children and the elderly. But we could be facing a major, major dilemma in this country with up to 10,000 people arriving and simply nowhere to accommodate them. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Ballyhower Development Group and Mental Health Ireland, they are holding a coffee morning this morning in Chambally Moor Community Centre. It's a great chance to come along, have a cup of coffee, and chat with activities for all age groups. Kildallery Community Development, their weekly lotto draw this afternoon at four with a jackpot of 2,900 euro. And the Balancholic Winter Festival begins today with 100 musicians playing in the White Horse over the next four days. Tonight, it's traditional music session in the bar from at 7pm and upstairs. 
the well there were more entertainment upstairs I'm assuming the presentation uh, of funds for the Christmas lights display at O'Mahony's Kilbarry will be made to the Friends of Bantry Hospital West Cork Ambulance Service and Co-Action in Dunmanway that's happening tomorrow night Friday Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway music with Finbar Dennehy and family and for Moy Musical Society will host their concert uh, live in Living Colour. It's on Friday and Saturday of this weekend. Tickets €15 Euro, and they're on sale by contacting 086 2499721. You can stop texting us on our Racing Home for Easter Festival. We'll announce the winner in just a moment. And just before I do that, just some of your texts coming in. Jim says, Patricia, is it that hotels are making more money by taking in the Ukrainian refugees than having Irish people or visitors staying in the hotel? No, I mean, I, I assume they're getting paid the same amount. It's just that they're guaranteed bed nights by taking in the Ukrainian refugees and obviously they would be there longer than somebody coming to stay for maybe just a night or two or coming just to stay for a weekend so that's that's the reason for it and a number of people commenting on Dr Tony Houlihan and this news that he's moving leaving as the Chief Medical Officer and he's instead going to a role in education he's going to Trinity College where he's going to be heading up a new it's and it's a new position it's it's a, a, a position that has been designed especially created especially for him a role that's been created especially for him he'll be professor of health strategy and leadership it's happening in July but the thing in the tale is that the Department of Health because he's been seconded from the Department of Health to Trinity College will be paying his wage packet and not everybody is happy with uh, that uh, John says Dr Tony Houlihan being paid continue to be paid by the Department of Health smacks to John of cronyism. John in uh, Botovant says can't get over the fact that €187,000 from a health budget can be used to fund a position in Trinity College because he had a reason to go to the Mercy Hospital on Monday night. He was at the hospital, the A&E department for 14 hours. He said the hospital was his words crazy busy he said the staff under huge pressure he said the amount of people coming into the A&E department never seen anything like it in the end he said he had to get out of there so I'm assuming he waited 14 hours so I don't know whether he was treated or not but he just said he couldn't stay there any longer now he wants to point out he's not in any way blaming the staff at the Mercy Hospital he said it is the whole uh, system from the Minister for the for Health right down and then he said to hear that Dr Tony Houlihan's salary of €187,000 can be spent in Trinity College he said a fraction of those high wages if they put that into the health system it would make a huge huge uh, difference but he said the staff are fantastic uh, and very nice very friendly they're doing their best but they're just completely overrun and somebody else by text also very annoyed uh, about about the fact that the wage packet is €187,000 thinks it's an astronomical sum for one person to get for any job this person is living on social welfare of 208 euro uh, a week says to no fault of my own I lost my uh, job and I'm not even barely surviving on 208 euro a week is the government going to keep putting money into their pockets I think this is story is disgraceful um 
caller says, or texter says, I had to turn off my gas three weeks ago so that I could pay for my electricity. And then you hear of one person earning that kind of money. Not happy at all. And Orla says this is on the cost of everything going up. There's another increase for council tenants due to come in from this Saturday. Once again, we're going to have to pay for more. Those of us who live in council properties and we're struggling with everything as it is. Somebody really finding it at heart. Okay, thank you. That's just some of your thoughts and comments coming into the programme today. Our winner today on our Racing Home for Easter Festival and winning a pair of tickets to go racing on Easter Sunday is... Darren O'Connor from Mallow. You want a far to travel, Darren? You can head to the race course and you equally won't if you win the overall prize tomorrow. You'll then be spending a night for two in the gorgeous Springford Hall Country House Hotel. Congratulations to you. So you've got one more opportunity to play tomorrow on our Racing Home for Easter Festival. You'll have another racing question your chance uh, to win and then we will have our five winners and somebody will get their prize upgraded and a reminder to you if you want tickets to go racing as part of the Easter Festival at Mallow Racecourse Mallow 16th to the 18th of April then you can check it all out on corkracecourse.ie Now our lines are open if you have a pet question for Jane Pickett our resident vet will be joining us in a couple of minutes This is the Cork Today replay on C103 we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where we're joined by Jane Pickett. Uh, good, good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And let's get straight into uh, questions. Annie has noticed that her cat has started scratching this morning. She's wondering, she, does, she can't remember when she last did the flea dot on the back of the neck. How often should she be doing that? Okay, so it really varies from product to product, but as a general rule, most little spot on, so the dropper on the back of the neck, most of them are due monthly. Okay, now there are other products available that are in, let's say, tablet form from your vet, and some of those are monthly, and some of them are three monthly. It's probably best to have a chat with your vet if you if that's where you got the product, or have a little look inside the packet if you still have what you would have used last time. Usually the instructions are there, but if not, I think your vet is your protocol. If it's not a product that they hold themselves in stock, they'll certainly be able to guide you in the right direction. It does sound like this little cat, the first protocol, would be applying a spot on because I suppose the common things are common and things like fleas, lice, lice and mites are really common causes of itching in our little cat patients. But if that doesn't sort it, I wouldn't hesitate to visit your vet because there can be other things that will cause itching, for example, kind of yeast overgrowth or bacterial infections. So it is important that if the if the flea treatment doesn't work to, to pop along to your vet for further attention. Okay, somebody wants to know, can, you, can your dog get an allergy to the spot on? She noticed that she changed spot on the last time and that a red mark appeared where the spot on went on the back of the dog's neck. Okay, so that sounds like it could be what's called a contact reaction. Sometimes it's very much like you and me. Um, sometimes we can have sensitive skin 
Um, and a product that would be fine for you, let's say a hand cream, for example, might, you know, really upset my skin. And we do see variation like that between cat to cat and between dog to dog. Now, what I will say is that if your dog or cat does have a reaction like this, where there's, let's say, a red area where the spot on would have gone on, I'd let your vet know so that, you know, you can keep a little eye on it, certainly, and make sure it was the spot on and not something else that was causing irritation. But it may just be a case of trying to find something that might agree with them a little bit better. So changing up the product, making your vet aware of the issue so that they can guide you towards something else that would be just as just as effective, but maybe might have slightly different ingredients. Yeah, because every, every product, will, every product will have different ingredients ingredients in it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's plenty of options. Okay, um, Annie in Turner's Cross, her dog, who is a Jack Russell, has what she describes as a very loud bark. Now, nothing seems to be stuck in his throat. But any ideas what that could be? And I'm assuming it's something that's just, has just started. Okay, that's a little bit of an interesting one. Um, so changes in bark or vocalisation are something that sometimes we can associate with sore throats or changes in um, the back of the throat in the voice box. So if it's a sudden change that you've noticed in your pet and it sounds a little bit odd, that will be a flag to go to your vet so that they can check them out. Sometimes it could be as simple as your, your dog or cat having a a cold or a flu or maybe even an irritation at the back of the throat or sometimes it can be changes in the way that the the voice box open and closes with breath so that can change how things sound so it is definitely worth getting checked out if it's a change for your pet but if it is that your your dog has always kind of had this very loud bark it seems otherwise well in itself it may just have a very good set of lungs and be a little (laughs) bit noisy and and like to like to sing so there's there's two possibilities there Okay. Uh, hi, this is from Joe. Could you please ask Jane? My boxer dog has just had eight puppies, all healthy, thank God. Just w- wondering, is there anything that I can give to the mum now to help her feed that amount of puppies? Is that good? That's from Joe. Is that a big litter, eight for a boxer dog? It's, it, yeah, it's a reasonably big size litter for a large breed dog. Now, it's not unheard of. It does happen. Um, but generally, they tend to be a tad smaller, um, I would find. Now, what I will say is it's really important to make sure that the mum is on a, a you know a quite a high calorie diet so if she's not already it will be best to put her on a whelping mother diet now if you're if she's not on it already again i think your vet your local vet and vet nurse would be the best person to guide you to something that would be the right balance of vitamins minerals and nutrients but high enough calorie that she'll be able to produce enough milk to feed all eight now one thing I would say is if she has a large litter, it's important to keep a close eye on her and close eye on the pups. If you notice that, let's say, one or two or three of the, the smallest ones are maybe not quite, you know, fighting their way to 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 the to the nipples for food, then it may be the case they may not kind of keep up with their siblings as regards growth. And sometimes they can, you know, go downhill quite quickly. So particularly when there's a big litter, it's really important to keep a very close eye on the puppies to make sure they're all wiggling and active and feeding well and none are beginning to struggle or lag behind because they might be the ones that might need supplementary feeding. And again, that's something to discuss with your vet if you if you have concerns. So I think just high calorie food, but be careful that it is balanced for a, a whelping mum. I wouldn't go feeding her table scraps or anything like that because the last thing you want at this stage is for her to have an upset tummy because that would reduce her milk production. So have a chat to your vet. And when you're talking about the eight pups, is there always a runt in a litter? You know the way you'll hear people say, oh, that he was the runt of the litter or she was the runt of the litter. Is there always one that's a little bit smaller? I think 
there's usually a, a tiny bit of size variation, but it would be it wouldn't be normal, let's say, to have an obvious runt or you know, let's say one that was much much smaller than the rest. Um, it can happen, and I suppose that's where the saying comes from. But generally, if the, all puppies are kept a really close eye on, and any ones that are struggling are kind of fed with a bottle let's say and mm. again that's something that kind of isn't to be taken lightly and is to be discussed with the vet um generally they'll all develop at pretty much the same rate okay so no not always they, yeah they should they should all do okay tommy's in band yeah. and his cat has started shedding fur on her back uh, parts of it now you can actually see the skin and it's bleeding so i'm assuming the scratching going on any advice on what is happening and why what what's going on here Ah, uh, this sounds like it could be a very, very itchy cat that might be itching quite secretively. Um, I think the first thing I would do would be to visit your vet. Now, there are simpler things like our first caller. I think the most likely thing here is parasites, so fleas, mites and lice. But if your cat has got to the point where it's, let's say, drawing blood, probably from itching and scratching itself, then your cat probably needs a little bit of help as regards reducing down that itch so that they can be comfortable while the problem is sorted. Now, it may not be parasites, but I think really rather than wait and see after applying a spot on and see if it works, I think your your cat could be kind of in agony and really, really itchy for days until you figure out if it's worked or not. So I, I think I'd skip that step and, and visit your vet for some attention first. Because the, the fact that Tommy's identified bleeding, it means even you know, yeah. he mightn't be seeing it, the cat is scratching. Cats can lose yeah. fur through stress, but they're not necessarily scratching it. The fur just falls out. Isn't that the case? generally with stress it's kind of stress over grooming so the big places where we see cats losing fur when they're stressed out is actually the easy to reach bits so kind of on their belly and in between their back legs is usually the bit they can each reach easiest and it doesn't kind of just fall out it tends to be kind of over groomed so they lick and lick and Ah. lick at it and it kind of abrades it away so sometimes we even see um let's say broken hairs where they've chewed at it and it's kind of the equivalent of us biting our nails but it is a sign of a sign of stress that definitely needs to be to be flagged and dealt with yeah um, but this 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 cat in particular sounds itchy rather than stressed I suspect okay and Liam is in Mitchellstown he's got a Jack Russell skin on his leg look it looks like it's got a cut he doesn't know how it happened he's an indoor dog it's either a cut or some kind of allergy on the skin um would you have any idea of what's going on there mm, okay so if he ha- if he hasn't let's say witnessed any kind of thing happening where he might have had a kind of a traumatic injury or anything like that causing a cut i suspect it may either be self-trauma so licking and chewing at the area again similar to this cat sometimes dogs can do it quite secretively if they're itchy or it might be pain. So it's very common that we see, particularly on front legs in dogs, if they're uncomfortable, they'll lick at the area. And sometimes that can make the area very raw and appear almost cut-like. So I think if this is something new for your pet, and it sounds like it is, this is, I would say, something that needs to be flagged with your vet. Um, I would think it could be primary skin disease, so it could be a primary itch, or it could be a sign of underlying pain. Or, you know, your dog might have ran out to the garden and caught its leg on something simple and caused a bit of a cut that's partially healed. So, you know, the common things are common. It could be that too. But either way, if it's lingering on, I think it needs to be dealt with. OK, Barbara has a two-year-old Labrador cross who has an obsession with chewing shoes. It always happens when there's nobody in the house. And Barbara says no matter how, what we do to try to hide the shoes, he'll always manage to find shoes. She says she was out shopping this morning. She's come back and another pair of shoes chewed. Oh, no. <laughs> um, OK, so I think obviously our caller is well aware that 
chewing shoes is not not the best thing to do because it sounds like they've really tried to hide them i suppose yeah you know carry on with trying to make the shoes secure because obviously if fragments of them break off or plastic or bits of fabric they can get stuck and cause a very severe blockage in the guts that would require an operation that you know is sometimes successful to help them through but it can be very very serious and what i would say is it sounds like this dog may be kind of bored and destructive when you're out or it may even have a degree of separation anxiety if the behavior only happens when you're out of the house what i would say is you need to try and wean them off the shoes and onto something else to chew to relieve that stress so um kind of a slightly more robust toy you can get lots of um fabric based toys for dogs that are kind of indestructible but designed to be such that they won't rip apart and the dog can't swallow fragments so my first protocol would be acknowledge that it might be boredom and stress but first trying to wean your dog onto a a safer thing to chew and then maybe deal with the reasons for well you know is there a reason my dog might be bored or stressed while I'm away or is it that he's worried when I'm away because there's no background sound or I think it needs you need to dig a little bit deeper into the reasons why it might be happening. Yeah and the fact that it's too it's still a young dog but it should be gone past and you know a lot of pups will yeah. do that will chew anything like that they that comes inside but it's it a two should be should, should he be passing it getting past it should it? be past it so they do go through an almost kind of teething stage very much like babies and you know a dog's mouth is the equivalent of their hands that's how they learn about the world so certainly when they are younger kind of let's say 4 to 8 months maybe up to a year they will kind of go around and pick things up and that's them learning about the world but kind of tearing and chewing at things in a destructive way it's a really unsafe behavior for them to have but generally there's something underlying causing it whether it be stress or boredom so i think you know just make sure they're safe first and foremost and not going to swallow anything they shouldn't but then maybe have a chat with your vet or even look behaviorist and just see well you know what things can i do to reduce my dog's stress whilst i'm away okay and susan's cat had a litter of kittens they're about eight weeks old she's managed to find homes for all of them well done uh susan Brilliant. uh is now the time to get the mum neutered eight weeks of age for the kittens uh eight weeks of age so generally the kittens would need to have been let's say not suckling from the mum for about you know three to four weeks at least so we need all of that mammary tissue the milk gland tissue to settle down so the the operation is as comfortable and as safe as possible for the mum it does vary a little bit in how quickly that settles down so it may be worth having a chat to your vet let them know the situation because we want to get her spayed before she can have another litter um, so you need to kind of get in there fairly quick but it may be that your vet might want to see them in just for a brief check just to check the mammary tissue the milk glands and make sure everything's settled down before the operation but very soon it will be it will be time to get her done because cats cats are very good at reproducing again absolutely. very quickly and after yeah. having kittens and you're absolutely doing the right thing Jane thank you for that have a lovely week <laughs> and we'll chat next Thursday you too. Thank Thanks you. for joining us, uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And can I say thank you to somebody who heard me mention, Ray, who contacted us a little bit rather upset this morning about to head to tomorrow to the daughter's graduation in Nimerick only to be told that the hotel has contacted them cancelled their booking because the hotel has now been used for Ukrainian uh, refugees it's left it too short for too short a time span for Ray to get accommodation anywhere else somebody has come on and said would you tell Ray to try the Killaloo Hotel you can go on www.killalooHotel.ie it's 15 minutes from UL in, in Limerick and rooms 
and restaurants are available if he wants to check it out. Thank you. Somebody's gone to some effort to check availability. So the Killaloo Hotel, Ray, if you're listening, give that a check and they might be able to give you the accommodation that you, you'll be looking for for tomorrow night. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards who will ease you through the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for the final one of the week. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.